My name is Zach. For those of you that haven't got a chance to meet yet, I'm the lead pastor here. I wanna welcome you to Antioch. Uh, it is a joy to see the bottom half of so many of y'all's faces. You know, it's been a while since we've done that. Uh, so that's great. It's great to see you. So glad you're here today. Uh, we have a special guest, Susan Peters. Susan, come on up. Give her a hand. Susan is the director of Unbound Global. Uh, and you guys have heard so much about Unbound over the course of this year. And then she's also, uh, this year, has stepped onto a position on our board of advisors. So this is coming from extended family to us. She's invested in our church in so many ways, and we're so honored to have her here invest in us today. So if you'll give her another warm welcome, Susan, I'll give you the microphone. We can take over. Thank you. All right. I am so glad to be here and absolutely honored to be on the board for sure. I mean, you guys have amazing leaders I could call out so many and so many friends here and the way you pursue Jesus and the way you have just absolutely loved the community and now we're gonna expand Unbound here too. It's just another, another example of how you are reaching out of this church and so thank you so much for letting me be here. Love it, love it, love it. Um, today we're gonna talk about, uh, wow, my eyes are, I may need to raise this up a bit. Let's see here. Um, oh, there we go. All right. Um, just want to tell you a little bit about myself for those of you who don't know a lot about me. Um, my husband, Marty, is here with me today. We've been married for 32 years, um, which we are so, so much. We just honor Jesus in that. We both came from broken backgrounds, came to Jesus, got plugged into the body of Christ very much like Antioch, um, Dallas, and that's where we learned to follow him, be disciples, learned how to love one another as a couple and as a family. We just realized, um, I knew for myself, in my immediate family, there were 13 divorces just in my immediate family, and it wasn't until last year we added up, and just in our immediate families with our siblings and parents, we have 22 divorces between us. So it is such a testimony to Jesus and the power of the word and the Holy Spirit that he cuts off those things. And it's the body of Christ, it's the mothers and fathers in the house that retrain us what the enemy has stolen so that we can reproduce the life of God. Isn't that amazing? So, so, so honored about that. And just this last weekend, I was able to go to Monterey, um, California, where my youngest is married to um, her husband that's in the military, and we were able to celebrate Mother's Day, so my heart is full with that, and we had a wonderful time. I do wanna um, tell you that it wasn't always peaceful and easy in uh, the Peters' home. If you can imagine, four, five girls, Marty would say, um, and we were learning and working out our salvation with fear and trembling. So I just thought I'd give you a few highlights and not, not just the uh, Instagram highlights. We uh, homeschooled for a few years. I loved staying home. I was a stay-at-home mom for 10 years. Then the girls went to public school, so then I was a working mom. There was a season where Marty was traveling for work and I had to drop the girls at four schools, go to work and then come back and pick them up at four schools. They also all played soccer at the same time. How many mamas can agree? Y'all been through this. Four different practices, all on Tuesday and Thursday. So you drop, 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 pick up, pick up, pick up, pick up, right? I mean, crazy, crazy schedules. 
Um, we had a couple of the girls that were in dance team, which was a lot of fun. In fact, when the girls went off to college, we were like, what are we gonna do with our Friday nights? We've been to football games for I don't know how many years. We had one on the dance team who was a little bit forgetful, and I can, if I was being really honest, I think a couple of times I went, I won't even tell you how fast, down Hewitt Drive to literally, and I'm not exaggerating, throw the belt of Lindsay's outfit in the bus as it's going so that she has her costume when she gets to the football field. I mean, it's just so much fun. We made the grave mistake of only having um, one bathroom that the girls shared. We had more bathrooms, but they shared one bathroom between the four of them until they went off to college. And I don't know why, but I only gave them one hair straightener. That led to a lot of cat fights, and there were times that I wondered if anyone was saved in the house. <laughs> it was rough. Um, we had one very strong-willed child. I actually thought the first one was strong-willed, but when we had the fourth one, then it just absolutely um, shattered every child training book I ever read. And I mean, really off the charts. My mother-in-law had 54 grandchildren, and she said, this one is the strongest-willed child I've ever seen. She came out smoking a cigar. I literally, not only on one occasion, called my mentor mom and said, come over now, and hung up the phone. <laughs> In which she came, and I needed that help. We took our kids on many, many mission trips, and I mean, how many of you have done the fundraisers? So many garage sales. We actually sewed donuts once. We did Christmas wrapping and all kinds of things to raise money, but so worth it to take our kids to the nations and to share the gospel with them. We also prayed away a few boyfriends. <laughs> More than I would like to tell you about, but thank God three of them are married and we love all three of these godly, amazing men, which is a total miracle. Absolutely thrilled about that. We had great events of celebrating activities with our kids and really tried to train them to celebrate each other for events and to show up. Even when Anna was in a drama, she made a big deal out of it. We were excited to go and she was dressed up like a flower and said three words. But we all celebrated like it was the main event. We also had extreme displays of selfishness in our home. I can share this particular story with you because at one of the girls' weddings, the sister was happy to share it with everyone at the reception in the speech. And so there was a time where I uh, picked up all the girls from soccer practice except Jessica's was going longer. I think they were in junior high, early high school. We came home, ate dinner. Then we all piled in the car to pick up Jessica. And so we said, hey, let's just go through you know, the Taco Bell and what do you want? She wanted two tacos and we drive home and she only ate one. So her sister Brooke said, hey, since you're not gonna eat that taco, can I have it? And Jessica said, no. And Brooke said, hey, you know, you're not gonna eat it. If you're not gonna eat it, can I eat it? And she said, no. Well, I'm the mom, I'm like, you gotta be kidding me. And so I'm listening to this. I'm like, Jessica, if you're not gonna eat the taco, give it to her, which she proceeded to row down the window and throw it out. <laughs> so sorry, but the truth is we had to work some things out in our home. I can tell you that Jessica grew up to be a mature, very generous, amazing girl, but it didn't come naturally. 
So we have not been perfect in our home, but I'm so thankful for the mercy and the grace and the provision of heaven. Where would we be without Jesus? Where would we be without the word of God? Where would we be without each other? Because I needed those mamas to come alongside of me and show me how to honor my husband, show me how to lift up the girls, show me how not to panic or to perform, but to keep feeding my girls the word of God. I'm so, so thankful. All right, I wanted to read a scripture Marty and I found this morning on the way um, to uh, church, and it was in the Passion Translation, not the Amplified. They kind of make fun of me because I like reading lots of translations, especially the Amplified. But anyway, this is Proverbs 6, verse 20 in the Passion. My child, obey your father's godly instruction and follow your mother's life-giving teaching. Fill your heart with their advice and let your life be shaped by what they've taught you. Their wisdom will guide you wherever you go and keep you from bringing harm to yourself. Their instruction will whisper to you at every sunrise and direct you through a brand new day. Isn't that refreshing? The word of God is alive. Well, Mother's Day is a special day, and I know everyone in here has a mom. We know that for sure, right? Everybody in here has a mom, and we can celebrate that. I have a few examples about motherhood, and did you know that there are two billion moms in the world? There is also a staggering 28 billion U.S. dollars on Mother's Day spent. That's at retailers and restaurants, if you can imagine. It's also the busiest phone day of the year with 122 and a half million calls today. And there is 152 million Mother's Day cards bought this week. I mean, that is a lot to celebrate mothers. Our moms are special. A few facts about moms that I read in some studies that I thought were interesting is moms spend on average 97 hours a week on parenting. They spend, their jobs include a chauffeur, a chef and a teacher, a toy mechanic, referee, nap negotiator, monster slayer, nightmare soother, housekeeper, party planner, pooping doula, the rule enforcer, the investigator, the memory maker, the dental hygienist, the nurse and professional cuddler, to just name a few. Today, the average mom has two kids, but if you were in the 1800s, the average was seven to 10. Wow, would our life be different? Guess how many diapers are changed with one baby before the age of two? 4,500. An average mom takes two minutes and five seconds to change a diaper, which is equivalent to three 40-hour work days in her week, 43 40-hour weeks. Can you imagine? Just changing diapers. So I'm sure some of you want to know, well, how long does it take a dad to do a diaper? (laughs) It's actually shorter, one minute and 36 seconds on average, according to this study. Marty and I decided it's because the dads don't get all the cracks and crevices as well. A preschooler requires mom's attention every four minutes. That's the equivalent of 210 times a day. 
And moms do about 330 loads of laundry a year. Another fun addition fact about moms are moms who give birth later in life live longer. And this study said that if you have kids, you're smarter. Being a mom is incredibly rewarding, but it can be very, very challenging. Most moms I know, they wonder if they are doing this mom thing well. They ponder when they go to bed the shoulda, coulda, wouldas that they wish they would have done better. And then if you just add in the daunting task of being a mom to teenagers, that's a frightening thing, but I found a very encouraging study. They found that Christian teens say that mothers are the go-to person for all kinds of support and tough conversations. In fact, 78% of these Christian teens say that they would go to mom for encouragement, sympathy, and advice. The same percentage of teens consistently identify their mothers as the one who provide spiritual guidance and instruction and instill their values and discipline in their life. So over and over again, these studies show the amazing, enduring impact of a mom. They have the hard conversations they provide that companionship, the discipline, and the important spiritual development and modeling that our kids so desperately need. One in four mothers are raising their children on their own. So like all parents, single moms want the best for their kids. They want them to thrive and do well in school and have healthy friends and grow but they have to do that all on their own without the support of a partner. And I wanna give a big shout out to single moms. I was raised by a single mom and I wanna say, I hope and we believe and we champion you and we want you to find all the support that you need within the church. Children's church, youth group, mamas and daddies, we will pray for you and we want to cover you and walk alongside of you and do not let the enemy put shame on you. We are your best advocate. I also wanna give a shout out to foster moms. These are amazing moms. These are moms who care for children who usually come with a major trauma. These moms do the same task as getting their kids off to school, signing permission slips, doing laundry, clipping fingernails, participating in a Nerf gun battle, and they take their kids to the dentist appointments. They read bedtime stories, they put love notes in their lunches, and they kiss their owies. Big shout out to those foster moms. I don't know if you guys watched the latest series or season of Fixer Upper, but we were able to be a small part of a show that was on it. Um, Unbound goes into an emergency shelter for CPS kids, and we go in there every week and have for several years, and we, one week we do a Bible study with the girls, it's a faith-based home, and then the opposite week we do prevention material because unfortunately, this is the highest percentage of kids that get trafficked. One of our uh, volunteers that is so faithful really led this out and she goes in every week and the house was really needing repair and renovations and we had had it on our heart for a long time to try to facilitate that for her and so she went out and raised the money and it was given to Unbound and we gave it to them to remodel the home and Fixer Upper jumped in and took over the house. So it's featured in this last season on the third show if you wanna see it, absolutely amazing. But while Jenny has been working in this home and getting to know these kids, 
this one particular girl that was 16 in her junior year had never been out of the CPS system and she had never been placed in a stable home. This home, you're only supposed to stay for 90 days, but because this girl had nowhere to go, she had been there two years. And CPS was super concerned because most of the time these kids go from school back to the home and they don't get a lot of the preparation that kids need for adulthood. And so Jenny and her husband prayed about it and they took this girl in. And so now they, she lives with her and the other day Jenny was telling me that this girl texted her and said, hey, when you pick me up from school today, will you stop at Starbucks and get me a cake pop? It's my friend's birthday. So she said, sure, what flavor? And she got it and she came by and she gave it to her and the girl gave it to her friend and she got in the car and she said, I'm gonna cry. She just said, I just wanted them to see what moms can do. That this, you as a mom would stop by and get me something just because my friend needed to be blessed. Isn't that amazing? Then the next week, she said that she picked up this, this child and she said, hey, my friends and I were talking and None of us have good moms. They're either strung out on drugs, incarcerated, or absolutely absent. So we wanted to know if you'd be the mom for our group. Isn't that powerful? Our world is in such needs of moms in so many, many places. Proverbs 31 says, her children rise up and call her blessed. Her children also, and he praises her. Many women have done excellently, but you surpass them all. Leviticus 19.3 says, every one of you should revere his mother and his father. I looked up the word revere, and it's defined as having great respect, to show devotion and honor, to regard as worthy. And those, that just challenged me. Marty and I are going to see my mom, who's 89 years old, after this, and I'm studying this, and I'm reading this, and I went and got her a bigger present. <laughs> but some of you may have had a difficult relationship with your mom, and I understand that that can be painful. But God is able to make that up to us through the church and godly mamas. My mom had bipolar when I was growing up, and it made for a very tumultuous home and a very absent presence as a single mom. But God more than met my needs through the godly mamas that mentored me, who modeled healthy home life and who spoke into my life until my mom came to Christ in her late 50s. After my mom gave her life to Jesus over the next several years through Bible study, counseling, and medication, she was absolutely, completely healed. My children do not know the mom that struggled so much like the way I did as a child. She is a phenomenal grandmother. And she's gonna be, she's almost 89 in June, Late recently, she went to the hospital and she said, I thought I had one foot in the grave and the other one on a banana peel, but I think I'll be around longer. <laughs> and then she said, well, if God's gonna keep me around, I sure wish he'd keep my parts working better. <laughs> she has been such a joy and it's such a testimony to the resurrection power and restoration of God. He can absolutely turn those hard things into good. I look at my life and I look at what I went through and I never saw Unbound coming up, but nothing in our life is wasted. It's all needed through the experiences in our life for him to flow through us in profound ways 
And I'm so thankful. So no matter what your experience is with your mom, know that God hovers over you and that he is the restorer and the healer and he'll use it for good. And you can be the mom that you wished you always had, whether that's to natural children or so many children in our world that need you. All right, so we're gonna open up the word of God for our Bible study today. We're gonna look at 2 Kings chapter four. We're gonna go through verses eight through 37. You're gonna find a wonderful story, one of my favorite, about the Shunammite woman. There are many lessons that we can learn from this godly woman. As a background, Elijah traveled and ministered as a prophet, and he went by her home many, many times. So let's start with chapter four, verse eight. I'm gonna read this part in the New King James Version. It says, now it happened one day that Elijah went to Shunem, where there was a notable woman, and she persuaded him to eat some food. You know those mamas that persuade you to eat, right? Anybody got a mama or a mother-in-law, and she insists on stuffing you and then sending you home with the leftovers, and she doesn't care about your diet, you're gonna have to eat that dessert. That's the kind of woman this Shunammite woman was. So it was, so often as he passed by, he would turn in there to eat some food. And she said to her husband, look now, I know that this is a holy man of God who passes by us regularly. Please let us make a small upper room on the wall and let us put a bed for him there and a table and a chair and a lampstand so it will be whenever he comes to us, he will turn in there. I love this story because the first lesson that we can glean from the Shunammite woman is that she makes room. She obviously fears the Lord, is sensitive to the things of God because she recognizes that he's a man of God. And she doesn't just watch him walk by, but she discerns, this is a long trip. He could come in here and be refreshed. And he's so comfortable doing that that he does it every time. So then she stepped up her game in hospitality and they build this room. One translation says that they built it with a stairwell on the outside. And to me, that's really important because sometimes we can do things for God or the church or the people of God and we maybe don't mean to, but it's more about us than it is about serving. But for her to do that, it was like, what serves him? Let's, let's make sure he has a good place with the set tools, the bed and the lamp and the table to be able to be refreshed and food. So she makes room. So it's amazing what she does is sensitivity of being honoring that man of God. Well, this Shunammite woman is the epitome of hospitality and it's such a model for us to do. I have some friends, the Owens, that live in our neighborhood and, and maybe a few of you know them and they are hospitable all the time. They host a lot of weddings, showers, all kinds of things. They're just incredible. And we just had our Texas directors in um, for a retreat this past weekend. And I wanted to do something special for the ladies for dinner, something fun or something that would be a blessing because they work so, so hard. So my friend said, let me do dinner for you guys. And they have a beautiful setting by their pool and all this. And so we went and when we walked in, there all immediately it was over the top. There's a beautiful charcuterie board. There's bacon wrapped shrimp, what happens to be Marty and my favorite. There were these beautiful glasses with lemonade and fruit in it. And you could instantly tell this is just not your ordinary meal, which would have been fine. It was, I am gonna serve with my best. We went outside to the pool area and it's beautiful linens and flowers and table settings. 
a salad and steak. I mean, really good. We're chicken people because we're cheap. And they did steak and twice baked potatoes, homemade dessert. It was absolutely amazing. And I literally teared up because I'm like, God, this is, this is what you do. You know, it's just the hospitality lived out through people to honor those that labor among us. And it was a blessing. I mean, we could have ordered Chick-fil-A and we would have enjoyed the fellowship, but to use that hospitality to bless the labors of God was amazing. And to me, that's what the Shunammite woman did. Amen? So we can apply this literally from this lesson and, and ask ourselves, are we honoring the people of God among ourselves? Do we serve and do we show hospitality? I mean, Marty and I have a lot of people over and we talked about it. I've said, what can we do to be better to the people that come stay with us besides just a clean bed and, and snacks on the counter? Because I wanna be a doer of the word. But I also think that there's a lesson in this about making room in our heart. The Shunammite woman was sensitive to the things of God and she was moved by what she could do. And I think we have to make room in our own hearts to be able to invite the presence of God in. I like to say, have a set time with set tools in a set place. Have I said that here before? Because we have to make room to meet with God. We have to make room to hear his voice, to hear his correction, to hear his encouragement, and to mature us. And so when we have a set time, whether that's the first thing in the morning or the evening, whatever works for your schedule, then you're making room. You're saying, God, I need you. I'm not gonna go out and live my life by myself. I'm gonna put you first place. So that's set time. And then I say, have a set place. Because then you'll cultivate that place. And I, sometimes when you move or something happens, you're like, oh, this doesn't feel like my space. But when you go to that place day after day after day, it becomes a sacred space. It doesn't matter if it's a torn out down running down rocking chair, or if it's a beautiful place that has a beautiful window, it doesn't matter. It's that set place that you meet with God. And I say those set tools, just like the Shunammite made sure the man of God had a bed and a lamp and a lampstand. We have our set tools, we have our Bible, we have our journal, a way to worship Jesus. And that matures us and it just makes a space and makes room for the power of God and the intimacy with Jesus that we so desperately need. So that first lesson is let's make room. As the story goes on, Elijah realizes that the Shudamite woman had no children. She didn't tell him that. She was very content in her serving. He even asked her, can I speak to the king or to the people on your behalf? And she was like, no, I'm fine, I'm fine. She really found a place of contentment, although she had to have great pain because we know that the stigma associated with barrenness in that time was incredibly intense. So he prophesies and prays and tells her, you will have a child this time next year. So we're gonna just look at lesson two, and that is that she served in her pain and that God sees our buried dreams. Sometimes we have painful places and we can get absolutely stuck and immobilized, and there's seasons for that to be healed, but then we can move on and we can serve even in our pain. There's a couple in Waco, and um, they've been part of our church now, what, 25, 30 years, and they're amazing, but they have deep pain. They had one child, and this child really suffered. She has a lot of issues. She's 
um, had a lot of addiction issues. She's moved states away, and they really have not had much of a relationship with her. But they have taken their pain to Jesus, and I have never seen a couple invest in more people in our body and in our movement than they have. Only heaven will tell how many they have sown into, because I only know a fragment. I see them at lunch with young men mentoring them. I've been to her home as she has hosted showers. I've heard about when she is at a birth encouraging a mama. I've seen her go across the state to another woman in our movement to be there after she's had a baby. I've seen her go on vacations with them. She has mothered many and they have parented many. And so they have served in their pain. God saw their buried dreams of parenting and he resurrected it and heaven will reveal it. We're gonna read the story starting in verse 18 and this part of it is the lesson three and that is walking by faith in the midst of tremendous trials. Anybody in a trial today? We all can face many trials but God will get us through. Let's start with verse 18. The child grew, and one day he went out to his father, who was with the reapers. He, told his, he said to his father, my head, my head. His father told his servant, carry him to his mother. And the servant had lifted him up and carried him to his mother. And the boy sat him on her lap until noon, and then he died. Can you even imagine that resurrected dream, and then he's on her lap, and he literally dies? What does she do? It says that she went up and laid the boy on the bed of the man of God, and she shut the door and went out. She called her husband and said, please send me one of the servants and a donkey so I can go see the man of God quickly and return. Why go to him today, he asked. Is it the new moon or the Sabbath? Her response, it is well. She saddled the donkey and said to her servant, lead on, don't slow down for me unless I tell you. So she set out and came to the man of God at Mark Carmel. When he saw her in the distance, the man of God said to the servant Gehazi, look, there's the Shunammite. Run to meet her and ask her, are you all right? Is your husband all right? Is the child all right? It is well, she said. When she reached the man of God at the mountain, she took hold of his feet and Gehazi went over to push her away, but the man of God said, leave her alone. She is in bitter distress. Even with the promises of God, even with the gifts of God, we can experience great pain. But the Lord has hidden it from me this day and not told me. Did I ask for a son, my Lord, she said? Didn't I tell you don't raise my hopes? Elijah said to Gehazi, tuck your cloak into your belt. Take your, my staff and run. If anyone greets you, do not answer. Lay my staff on the boy's face. But the child's mother said, as surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. So he got up and followed her. Gehazi went on ahead and laid the staff on the, baby, the boy's face, but there was no sound or response. So Gehazi went to meet Elijah and said, he is not awakened. When Elijah reached the house, there was the boy lying dead on his couch. He went in, shut the door on the two of them, and he prayed to the Lord. Then he got on the bed, he lay on the boy, mouth to mouth, eye to eye, hands to hands, and he stretched himself out on him, and the boy's body grew warm. Elijah turned away, and he walked back and forth in the room, and then he got on the bed and stretched out over him one more time, and then the boy sneezed seven times and opened his eyes. I'm not going to comment on that. I have no idea why he did that. 
Elijah summoned Gehazi and said, call the Shunammite, and he did. When he came, he said, take your son. She came in, fell at his feet, and bowed to the ground, and she took her son and went out. This woman of God used her faith in the midst of the impossible. Most people would have absolutely cried in terror, and we would have understood that. But she takes him to the man of God. She knew who she would run to when the tragedy and trials of life started. Such an example to us. She knew that the man of God who manifested the presence and the power of God was her only hope. Her response to her husband was because her husband could not fix it. Her response to Gehazi, he could not fix it. Only God can deliver us from some of the deep, deep places of our heart and our life, and we have to train ourselves that we go to those deep places in God, even in the midst of tremendous tragedy and pain, and that's what we learned from her. She had to dig deep in her faith in the one that already had made the impossible possible. Trouble will come to all of us. Matthew 5.45 says it rains on the just and the unjust. Trials don't necessarily mean and usually don't mean that we've done something wrong. It just means it happens this side of heaven. There is an enemy that is after us and after destroying the things in this earth. And we've got to cry out to God. James 5.16 says, the prayers of a righteous man are powerful and effective. She guarded her words saying with getting her heart and her words aligned with faith. Proverbs 18.21 says, death and life are in the power of your tongue. The Amplified says, here's the Amplified, Zach. James 5.16, the heartfelt and persistent prayer of a righteous man, a believer, can accomplish much. When put into action and made effective by God, it is dynamic and can have tremendous power. Oh, church, we got to step up our game in prayer. That's why we need to make room in the morning, praying over our lives, praying over our families, praying over our work, praying over the kingdom of God to advance, praying over the church, praying over Unbound. I'm just giving you that plug. Her son is restored to life, so she experienced his two miracles. I wish I had time to go to the next chapter where another trial comes. There comes a famine, and Elijah tells her to leave for that famine. Again, God can warn us when things are coming, giving us wisdom on what to do. I'm going to have to go ahead and tell you the story. Maybe we have time. So I love this part because I think it's an example of life. We go on mountains. We go on valleys. What are we going to do, church? We don't bail on God in the hard times. There are challenging times, but he is faithful to get us through and then make good come out of it. So a famine's coming. Elijah says you need to take your son and leave, so it's presumed that she's a, a widow by this time. Another tragedy. She goes for the seven years and comes back, and all of her land is gone. So she goes to the king to petition the land, but being a widower, she probably wouldn't get it in that time. But guess what? Gehazi is standing next to the king, and the king is saying, tell me the miracles of Elijah. So he's telling him the stories and telling him about how he raised this boy from the dead, and in walks the woman with her son. 
And he said, king, alas, here's the woman and her son. So by the time the woman got there, the king said, you can have all this and more. Surely our God is a miracle God of provision. He hovers over us and he's got miracles for our life. It is so, so powerful. The Shunammite is one faith-filled serving mama that we can emulate. So the first lesson is that she makes room. Literally through extravagant hospitality and with her own heart making room for God. Our second lesson is that you can serve in your pain and that God sees your buried dreams. And the third lesson is that we can be a people that walk by faith. In the face of great pain and adversity, God will see us through, even in the most difficult times. I'm gonna close by reading a story of a praying mama. And I just think it's so encouraging. This is a pastor talking about his mom. We were helpless when it came to being able to ease her pain and relieve her symptoms. All we could do was pray. My family's prayers became urgent, fervent, passionate, desperate, and unceasing as they went forth from our house with the speed, focus, and force of a steady stream of bullets aimed at the throne of God. My mother led the charge. Let me tell you, nobody can pray like a mama whose baby is deathly ill, even when her baby is an adult. I had never heard anybody pray the way my mother prayed when my sister was sick. I had heard plenty of people pray, but never like that. She would not back down, she would not let down, she would not calm down, she would not get up and she would not shut up until she literally bombarded heaven on my sister's behalf. She became a warrior far superior to any epic hero. She became a giant on her knees. With a sword in one hand, she battled the enemies of death and disease, and with her other hand stretched towards heaven, she kept beseeching God's help and God's mercy. Have you ever heard the sound of desperation in another person's voice? I heard it during those days. I am sure the halls of heaven shook with the force of her intercession. She meant business, and she knew how to do business with God. Though my mother's prayers were intense and emotional at times, they were not based on emotion. They were based on faith. Her passionate pleas were built on her deep and intimate acquaintance with God. Her years of relationship with him, her knowledge of his word, she knew who he was and she knew what he could do. She knew what he had promised and she went to war for those things to come to pass in my sister's life. What happened, you ask? Let me just say that today my sister is a strong, healthy, beautiful mother and grandmother. She had an excellent education, a distinguished career in her profession. She has authored books. She's a public speaker. She is a delight to our family and a trophy and a testimony to the power of a mama's prayers. There will always be situations and circumstances that you cannot change for yourself or for your children. There will always be something over which you are utterly powerless and it may be something potentially devastating. In such moment of crisis, there is no substitute for prayer and no source of strength and comfort like the presence of God. 1 Thessalonians 5.17 says, Pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God for us. I don't know what you're going through today. I don't know what challenges are in front of you but our God is able to get 
you through it. Our God is able to deposit wisdom. He's able to raise up godly men and women in the body. Don't give up on the church. Will you be hurt by the church? Will you be hurt by people? Yes, we are frail, but it's still God's plan A and he can heal and he can restore and he wants to mature us so that we can be what we need to be to one another. The church is his powerful weapon in our communities. I wanna urge you to make room bigger for God than ever before. Give yourself afresh to hospitality to the people of God and those that come. And it doesn't matter about finances. I've been in so many impoverished countries and the hospitality among the poor absolutely shames most hospitality of Americans. It's not about what we have, it's about the heart and the service and making room. Let's make room in our heart to have that set time and that set place with our set tools to cultivate that intimacy with God. Let's don't stop living and giving because of the pain we're going through. God can still use you. Let's be a people who live by faith. Let's honor the moms today in our lives. Whether you had a challenging mom, you can honor her position and your forgiveness is more about you and you being free to be a mom for those around you. Let's honor the foster moms. Let's honor the single moms so that the church is the safest place on heaven for them. Amen? So let's stand up and let the prayer ministers come forward and I'm gonna pray. If God's spoken to you and you're in a hard place and you wanna say, I don't wanna run to other things. I don't wanna run to my props that make me feel better. Whatever that is, I wanna run to the throne of God. Maybe you need to come and pray for, with someone. Or maybe God's spoken to you and he's saying, I want you to be like the Shunammite woman, a woman that makes space for the presence of God. Or even the hospitality piece can be such a blessing. And then be a people of faith. If you wanna say, you know what, today's a new day. I am gonna live by faith and not in worry and fear and doubt. Amen. So Father God, we come to you in the mighty name of Jesus. God, we declare that you alone are the King of kings and the Lord of lords. You are the only one with the answers. And so Lord, forgive us when we run to so many other things instead of your throne room. God, forgive us because we run to you, the author and perfecter of our faith. We will not accuse you, but we will say you are good and you are the resurrected King. So resurrect these things in our lives, oh God. Speak afresh, I pray. God, let us be who you want us to be. Let us make room for you in intimacy with you. God, we wanna honor the moms in our midst. We wanna honor the single moms and the foster moms. And we wanna honor the children in our communities that so desperately need the mothers and fathers to love and to cherish them, oh God. So Lord, would you position us to be what you want us to be. In Jesus' name, amen.